2: All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder in rock and roll. All right, I got some guys that never got haircuts, right? Here. I'm talking about some rock and rollers. I'm talking about Last in Line. That's Ronnie James Dio, original band, featuring Vivian Campbell, featuring Vinnie Appice, and featuring Jimmy Bain. But then Jimmy Bain passed away last year. We'll get, talk all about that. He was replaced by former Ozzy Osbourne bass player Phil Sussan. So we got a lot of great stories about the early days of the Ronnie James Dio band. Some great stories about the ultimate Sin Ozzy Osbourne lineup. We got Viv talking about how he met Ronnie, how they found their sound, the success, and even the events that led to Vivian's uh, uh, not agreeable departure from Dio. He's speaking very candidly and openly about his relationship with Ronnie James Dio and. And why he felt putting together Last in Line after Ronnie's death was a great way to pay tribute to the singer's music. And of course, Viv's going to talk all about the album Last in Line recorded, Heavy Crown, featuring singer Andrew Freeman, about the tour that starts this Friday, October 21st. They got a handful of dates in the States, and they can take off for a bunch of shows in Europe. You can get tickets and buy a copy of the Last in Line record at lastinlineofficial.com. Check out the band, and you're going to love this interview. Like I said, you get a real great insight into Ozzy and Dio in the 80s was hearing aid remember hearing aid if you're a heavy metal fan you know that hearing aid was the we are the world the uh the uh, uh, uh tears are not enough for the heavy metal set all put together by vivian and ronnie james Dio and the late great jimmy bain we're talking all about that stuff plus we're talking about uh about getting tickets for the last in the line shows and also getting tickets for Talk is Jericho Live in Toronto with AJ Styles, which has happened November 20th at the Bassett Theatre in Toronto. Starts at 10 a.m. Toronto time in the morning. There's going to be a brunch with AJ and myself that starts at that time. There's a handful of tickets left for that, but those are going really fast. Then we got a few tickets left for the exclusive VIP meet-and-greet. Uh, you go to markoutmoments.com to get your tickets to all of those things, the live podcast, the brunch, the meet-and-greet. Once again, Talk is Jericho live with my old tag team partner and WrestleMania rival AJ Styles. Sunday, November 20th at the Bassett Theatre in Toronto. Get your tickets at markupmoments.com. You're not going to want to miss it. If you saw Talk Is Jericho live in New York with Christian, you know how much fun it was. And with AJ Styles, it's going to be even more fun because he is the world champion right now on the SmackDown brand. All right. So we're here with uh, Vivian Campbell and Phil Susan from Last in Line in the famous Sunset Marquee Hotel. Woohoo! yeah. Which is the rock and roll kind of a destination place
1: if you're in a band in L.A. Yeah, I was just telling my mom earlier this was the first hotel that I stayed at when I first came to L.A., and I think it was in 1985
3: or something. Really? When I was first day in hotels in la was do days we stayed at the riot house the <laughs> that's something. the other one yeah. yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't spring for anything this push you know? <laughs> that was all good because you always hear about the hyatt house but it really was kind of a little bit of a dive right yeah it was it was it, a dump yeah, yeah they've done it up now it's not uh-huh. even called the hyatt anymore but uh yeah it was just it was a shitty hotel you know but i, th- I think <laughs> bands stayed there because they let you ride motorcycles down the corridor sort of <laughs> so thing you know <laughs> I
2: think
1: throw tvs out the window the old uh, led zeppelin tales right yeah i think yeah, they just counted on that to get their redecorating done from time to time it was like okay ride the bikes here's the bill trash the room and it's
3: all very civilized now you get fruit and flowers and a bottle of red wine
2: yeah it's it's really really it is quite posh right (laughs) i thought
3: that was one of your hats actually (laughs) i wasn't
1: sure (laughs) that that could be yeah Yeah. (laughs) looks like a
2: grandma's hat right (laughs) but it's interesting to me because you guys i mean we talked about kind of being here in the 80s and stuff and now feel you're in last in line Mm -hmm. and
1: have you guys known each other for since that time frame
2: pretty
3: much pretty yeah. much I was, yeah yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah i mean we've 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 obviously as you know the music business is, is is such a small world and even if you know we've never had the i've never had the the, the pleasure of, of of working with viv but we've always sort of crossed paths along mm-hmm. the way and you know been friendly with a lot of the other people in 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 our bands um and all these bands are, as you know they're kind of a musical chairs a lot of the time so you know you don't know some you know somebody in this band and then you know somebody in that band and uh uh, so we've we've crossed paths many times.
3: Yeah, it's a small community, you know, and especially because so many of us live in LA, mm-hmm. you know. So you just tend to bump into. But each it's other. funny though,
2: because you you were playing with Dio at the time, and you yeah. were playing with Ozzy. Yeah,
1: that was kind of your first big gig, right? Eighty six or so. It's the one. Yeah, that's the first gig that that people uh, know me for. I mm. mean, I was doing a lot of stuff before then, but Ozzy was really the thing that that broke broke me out on the on on the scene, uh, certainly in the in the rock world. Mm.
2: Was, was there, because was there, uh, you, you would always hear stories about Dio and
3: Ozzy getting kind of like a little bit of animosity. Did you guys ever see that? Did they ever cross paths? Not, not on my watch, no. I, I never saw, you know, I, uh, Ronnie said a few things about Ozzy, mostly in jest. You <laughs> yeah. know, uh, but no, I never happened to be in the room when the two of them. When that happened. Know. So I, I suppose there was a little bit of a, some sort of a friendly rivalry, you know. I and mean, two very very different characters. I mean, you know, Ozzy is such a showman, and, and Ronnie was was such a great technical singer. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Um, but obviously both uh, served their time in Black Sabbath, so that was a big connection there. Well,
2: yeah, because Dio replaced Ozzy, right? So yeah, and we sure.
3: we played some Sabbath songs that when we started. Uh, on the Holy Diver tour in 1983, you know, we only had the Holy Diver album. There was only nine songs on the album, so we needed to flesh out the show with other songs from from Ronnie's career. So we we played a couple of Rainbow songs, but we we played Mob Rules, and, did you, uh, and Heaven and Hell. You know, obviously we didn't do Paranoid or anything. Yeah.
2: You know, <laughs> None of that stuff, right? From Ozzy's era. Somebody,
3: but it was cool Oh, you were lucky. I got to play ben, Tony Iommi and Richie Blackmore
2: all in the same show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not bad, too, because you're like probably, I don't know, you're 21 or 22 years old. I
3: was 21 when we started that tour. And, yeah. and that's some pretty heavy, yeah. you know, shoes to fill with talking about Blackmore and Tony Iommi yeah. as well. well. It was great. Well, we we did different versions. We did real high-energy versions. like the We did Man on the Silver Mountain. And we did it like way faster than -hmm. than Rainbow ever did it you know it was it was like almost like a punk ethos you know uh and ronnie wanted that and vinnie wanted the two vinnie vinnie absolutely vinnie's just such a monster drummer vinnie just wanted to kick the living shit out of it you know he's up <laughs> and that's too slow you know <laughs> so um yeah we we did a we did pretty interesting versions you know
2: yeah yeah obviously. and what Sabbath songs did you guys do in the aussie set and then the ultimate sin tour well we pretty much Same had to
1: stories. do obviously we had to do uh, paranoid and iron man which were the two anthems that we would do to you know towards the end of the set yeah but when I joined the band, he did have quite a lot of legacy uh, material from those first two albums, which you know were always the classic songs to, to, mm-hmm. to, to the very day. So we would draw from a lot of that as well. Um, but you know, Ozzy never really liked to be too impulsive. I mean, he would pretty much like to have the set the way it was, and once we got through that set, we would. We would go through it, so there wasn't a much, much improvising. A lot of changing around, right? Not really, no, not mm-hmm. really. Um, and uh, but we only did short, the short version of Iron Man. We didn't, you know, mm-hmm. the whole drive to the fast part at the end. Children of the Grave or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and Paranoid, you know, and Crazy Train, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. Well, that was that's an Aussie. That's, tune, that's an Aussie too. The, the classics, anyway. right? So yeah, I mean that was a song I, I never really enjoyed playing that song
2: crazy train? No, not that.
1: Why them. is that? I don't know. It just it just seemed a bit like a bit twee to me I mean I don't know Tweet. when I first the first time you, just <laughs> you. Didn't, Tweet, didn't. Yeah, you <laughs> don't hear that one much yeah, right, right. I think I heard so, Paul McCartney say it five years ago that's about it <laughs> <laughs> but uh, of all the songs I mean it's, out the, it's a great great song I'm not, not knocking it or anything like that mm. but uh, it wasn't my favorite song of the set so but it was a song that we, we we'd never do a show without playing that song of course and sure. anytime somebody asks me to come and jam they say hey why don't you play Crazy Train and I'm
2: like okay <laughs> alright here we go Did you play on the Ultimate Sin record? Yes,
1: I did. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. How did
2: you get that gig with Ozzy?
1: How? Uh, You know, really what it boiled down to was uh, an audition. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were looking for another bass player uh, after things had uh, sort of not worked out well with Bob Daisley. Uh, My friend Randy Castillo had just got the gig playing drums, and Randy and I had been friends for a long time, but that wasn't the connection that got me in. Uh, I was friendly with Sharon and her management. Uh, and uh, it was a matter of time before they said, uh, "Hey, you know, would you like to come down and audition?" So mm-hmm. I, I, I actually came down, and played, did an audition, and and I got the, I got the gig. They tried a whole bunch of other people out, and uh, Sharon didn't think I was serious about it. As far as, uh, well, I, I kept running into Ozzy, and he'd say, "Hey, well, why don't you come down and audition for the band? We're looking for a bass player." and I'd say great I'd love to come down Then Sharon would call me the next day and say he doesn't know what he's talking about he's drunk he doesn't know <laughs> what he's saying don't worry and then one day one day I was actually um, I was visiting a friend of mine in Brighton and we were walking along the, the, the seafront and I, I bump into this guy coming out of a joke shop and it's Ozzy and he's, he's with Jimmy Ears, <laughs> Ozzy and yeah. Jimmy and, uh, and he says what are you doing here and I said uh, visiting my friend here what are you doing he's well we, we're auditioning bass players around the around the corner. Why don't you come down? And uh, I went down, I got the gig, and and f- for months and months afterwards, he was convinced that I'd followed him all the way down to Brighton, and I was stalking <laughs> him, which was absolutely not the truth. At the joke shop. Yeah. So one day I said to him, he said, you followed me down there, didn't you? And I said, no, I didn't. And I finally I got fed up with it, and I said, well, would it have made any difference? And he went, no, I guess not. I suppose not. And he never mentioned it again afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and it's for you, Viv, coming into the
2: deal camp, I mean, being just a kid, like you mentioned, a lot of pressure on to fill these these
3: shoes as basically you know, as an unknown guy. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it it was quite surreal, you know. Um I I literally was listening to the Heaven and Hell record. Um, I'd only just gotten into Sabbath. When when Ronnie joined Sabbath, that's when I became more interested. And I, I wasn't so much of an Aussie fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Ronnie joined the band, I became interested in Black Sabbath. And I, and I was literally listening to the cassette in my cars because we're back in the 80s, right? <laughs> Early 80s at that. It was
1: top technology.
3: And I, that was like the album I was listening to at the time. And then at about 2 o'clock in the morning, that very same week, uh, I, I got a call... Well, rather, my my father got a call. My father's name was Vivian. And uh, Jimmy Bain had looked up Vivian Campbell in the phone directory for, for Northern Ireland. And it's a small country, and there was only one Vivian Campbell. And he didn't know that that was my father's name, but he just took a crapshoot and he called at literally like 2 or two thirty in the morning woke my father up i just remember my father came around and woke me up and said there's a drunken scotsman on the phone for you <laughs> and <laughs> and i went downstairs and i took the call and it was jimmy and jimmy's hey vav vav it's jammy jammy Bean. <laughs> and uh he says i'm here in a, a hotel room in london with, with ronnie dio and vinnie Apesy, and they're looking for a guitar player do you want to fly over tomorrow and audition and i I had only met Jimmy through his band, Wild Horses. He had a band called Wild Horses that did a couple of records on EMI. It was Jimmy and uh, Brian Robertson. After Mm -hmm. Brian Robertson had had left Thin Lizzy and they'd come to Ireland and my, my band Sweet Savage opened for them. We basically opened for every hard rock band that came through Ireland. And, um, Jimmy had liked my playing and he had remembered me. So he, he had looked me up at two o'clock in the morning, uh, when Ronnie had said, Hey, do you know any guitar players? So, um, now, my father, the next morning, God bless him, I mean, he, despite having his sleep interrupted, he actually bought me the plane ticket because I couldn't have afforded to fly to London. So he right. bought me the ticket. I flew over to London with my Les Paul, rented a Marshall, and Ronnie had written the song Holy Diver and had, had started to work on the song Don't Talk to Strangers, but that was it. That's all he had. And uh, he showed me very basically, he just picked up Jimmy's bass and... He played bass, He played bass, yeah. And showed me just the basic outline of it and we started playing and as soon as we started playing jimmy and Vinny and i that was it that was the instant sound of of the early deal records and we all got goosebumps it was so exciting we just knew it was a magical moment and the chemistry was right there and and we just played that song and then we stopped, and then Ronnie rolled a few joints and got stoned. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. That deal was, uh, was oh, quite the pothead. He was head. a major pot guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't smoke pot, but I, I was getting a contact because I was in the room with him because the rest <laughs> of those guys were off their tits. And, uh, so, uh, But we, we played the song, and then Ronnie rolled a joint, and they all got stoned. And like I say, I probably did <laughs> indirectly. And then... Uh, we played the song again, and, and it came time to play the guitar solo. And Ronnie just kept like giving me the, the motion, you know, the arm. Just keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. And I ran out of licks, <laughs> and because you know, you're a guitar player, you got all your fancy chops, Get and you front you front load that, you know, you go, <laughs> okay, here's my best lick, and here's my second best, and you do all the the technical stuff. And I ran out of stuff to play after a while, and I started playing basic double stop standard chuck berry kind of rock and roll mm-hmm. licks and a couple of years later ronnie was recording all this and uh, a couple of years later i was in ronnie's house and he was, he found the cassette and he played the cassette and he said, there, he said, that's when I knew you were the guy for me when you started playing that stuff. So basically when I ran out of ideas, you know, was when he said, okay, that's my guy. <laughs> when you stop thinking. Stop thinking, exactly, it just, yeah. It, just it, proved, it became yeah. a very organic thing. That's hmm. exactly what it was, yeah. Interesting. And I, I understand what he meant. I didn't get it at the time, but, but hearing it back, I, that's when I started having to be creative and thinking on my feet. Right. You know, and coming up with something to just – fit the energy of the song you know yeah as, rather than just doing all my guitar wank you know because <laughs> all us guitar players we're all fret wankers you know we all just play too much but so once I'd gotten that out of my system but especially at that time frame in the early 80s the faster you played the the cooler you were exactly cool. and that that you know being a 20 year old which I was when I auditioned for the band I that's what I was thinking I think I've got to be as technical as possible, but. I came to realize when I came here to LA and I, I realized that there were so many great technical guitar players in this city. Ronnie didn't just want that. It's it's gotta it's gotta go beyond just the technique, mm. you know, which is going back to the Chuck Berylics, you right. know. It it's sometimes it, it's not what you play, it's what you don't play. Exactly. Right? And and it's it's being forced to to think on your feet and, and, and to be creative, you know. Mm. He was looking for for something different than than what he could find here in la whereas ironically as soon as i got to la i wanted a Charvel guitar with a floyd rose and a rack full yeah. of gear which is which if i'd had that ronnie would never have hired me no. you know because <laughs> yeah. he got that a dime a dozen in la right. but but being in belfast back then i mean we didn't have guitar center yeah i couldn't get a floyd rose guitar i'd heard eddie van Halen and shit my pants mm-hmm. you know say oh i gotta get a, a tremolo bar that actually doesn't put your guitar out of tune right. i want one of those you know <laughs> and uh all this this great gear that i'd be reading about in guitar magazines that i, I couldn't afford but uh i less is more you know and mm-hmm. I've, I've actually come full circle with that i mean like in last in line when we go out and play i play my les ball and there's a cable and it goes straight into the amp and that's it <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> yeah. you know sometimes i use a wawa but even then that's like a uh, because that's bullet. the true secret of guitar playing.
2: It's like, how do you get your tone? It's in your it's hands. It's in your hands. You right? Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. End of the day, it, that's
1: what it is. It's so refreshing as well. I mean, I, I I just love, I love the sound that that Viv gets, and it's. It, I remember looking the first time we were, we're playing. And I think I asked you. I said, "Do you have any pedals or anything? Do you use anything?" He said, "Well, I have that wah wah pedal that I use on one song or yeah. something, and it was straight in." Do we? Ha- I have a story about that because when we had to try to find another guitar player after after Jake left the uh, Ozzy's band, and we went through 400 guitar players, Randy Castillo and myself. Ozzy took off and went to promote the tribute album, I think, and left us here in L.A., and uh, we went through 400 people. We didn't play with 400. We went through their tapes, the tapes. and everything else, and we got it down to uh, probably about 60 or 70 people that actually made it down and actually came in and played, and it was at the time when GIT had become like a really big thing. And every, yeah, yeah, every single person that came in, just as Viv's describing, had that Charvel guitar Mm -hmm. with a rack of equipment and a tech, and it took them about 45 minutes to set up, and they'd set up and they'd play, and it was exactly the same sound, exactly the same licks, and that sound was so saturated, uh, which means it's sort of distorted, and Sometimes I'm, I, I I mix records as well for people, and and, and you get that sound, and it's it, it, the only way I can describe it is if you've got your hand on the fader of the guitar, over here, it's you can't hear it, and over here it's all you can hear. Mm-hmm. There's just no dy- there's no transience, there's no dynamics, it doesn't step out. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of this, uh, Zach comes in, he flies in, and he comes in with a very very unfashionable Les Paul, and uh, we said, do you have your equipment? Do you have any no, I don't have anything. Do you have an amp I can use? And there's this sad, lonely Marshall 4x12 that no one has plugged in because they're all playing through, you know, whatever, the uh, Randalls or whatever people were using back then. And he turned around, plugged it in, literally did the same thing, plugged the Les Paul into the amp and played. And for the first time, the air in that studio started to move. Mm. And it worked with what Randy and I was doing, was doing. And it was like a breath of fresh air. It was fantastic. Mm. All of a sudden, it was the most powerful sound. And we knew straight away. I didn't realize that you were there when Zach was auditioning. Zach oh, yeah. Because
2: right? it was the uh, it was well, noise for the Wicked right after that. But you weren't on that on that record.
1: No, we, yeah. we actually got Zach in the band. We worked a lot together. We did a few shows together. And then uh, after that, I'd been writing a lot of that record. And for whatever reason, I couldn't come to a mm-hmm. publishing arrangement with Sharon. And um, I decided to move on.
2: Sure, But that seems to be the thing both with Dio and Ozzy's case was that you would come in the band and write tunes and then... That's basically your job, and they would keep the publishing of them or whatever it would be. Yeah, with I'm, all with paying your dues. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's <laughs> it, though, right? Because I know Jake told the same story, yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah. like you said, part of paying your dues. Pay your dues. Yeah. Which is funny because, and and, and you know, it, it's one of those things. And now you guys will understand, you know, being in the band that you're in, owning the band, that sort of thing. I remember when um, Sting left the Police, and there's a documentary about him putting together the Dream of the Blue Turtles record. It's called Bring On the Night. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about uh, Miles Copeland is the manager, and he's talking, he's a very fast talker, and he's like, I guess they had Branford, Marcellus, or Winford, all these jazz yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. And then when the band started rolling, of course, they wanted some cash. And Miles was like, listen, they're saying there's more money on the table. Guess what? It's Sting's table. <laughs> you know, we do Madison Square Garden, and Winford, Marcellus on the show, there's no, no refunds. Sting's on the show, everyone wants their money back. So, you know, you can kind of understand, even though it's hard, and it's a team, and both those
3: band, those yeah. lineups you guys are in, were great lineups. But yeah. you know now. But I, I think you know it, when you're involved in the creative process, when you're writing the songs, mm-hmm. you know it's, it's a different story. It's a different story, and and you know I am I, I, not familiar exactly with with Phil's story with Ozzy, but I mean in the Dio days, like I said, when we went in to do the Holy Diver record, Ronnie had written the title track. And he was working on Don't Talk to Strangers and the other seven songs in the record we wrote collectively mm-hmm. here in L.A. Um, and the same for the Last in Line album, you know, and the "Sacred Heart album, they were very, very much.
2: It's a bad uh, effort. A,
3: a band effort. And that's what, what Ronnie wanted, ironically. You know, that, that first night when I auditioned with the band in London, um, that's what Ronnie told us. You know, he said uh, he'd left Sabbath. He had an existing solo deal. Um, We were going to call the band Dio, obviously, because for name recognition, nobody's going to call it Campbell (laughs) or being a rapacy. So um, and it made perfect sense. We said it's going to be you're going to work on a wage but we're going to create together as a band and he says if this is successful by the third album we'll make it an equity situation and that's why i got fired because i was the first one to hold my hand up and say ronnie we've done the third album Do you remember that night in london and they just kept pushing it off and pushing it off and and he said oh we'll talk about it when wendy gets here and and in hindsight i now realize that ronnie never shared his initial vision with his ex wife, mm. Wendy, who was managing the band, you know, mm. and she had a whole different idea. She wanted Ronnie to be the solo artist. She didn't see the, the value in what Ronnie saw in, in the unit being a creative unit sure you know she she just didn't get that you know she just thought it was Ronnie and whoever and get, get get a get, get bunch of guys on stage it doesn't matter well guess what it does matter it makes a big difference you so know, it, it does and it's funny because you, you think about even with like the David Lee
2: Roth band with mm. Steve Vai and Billy Sheehan the mm-hmm. first record eat em and smile it's incredible one mm. of the best party rock technical playing records you'll ever hear I think it was the same vibe and the second record comes Billy leaves and then suddenly it starts going downhill that happened with Dio as well and this is like nothing bad but as a fan the first three Dio records had steam and had power and just what a great lineup and what a great sound as soon as uh, the Night People record uh, Dream Evil,
1: you could, there was a difference. Well, that was that's what comes down to the word that was mentioned before, which is the chemistry. Right. Yeah. Chemistry. When you get that chemistry, yeah. and then you you change one little element, it you can there's a chance that the whole thing will disappear. You can Mess up the whole band.
3: Yeah. From I that. mean bands. Yeah. I I am a firm believer that each and every one of us is unique, like your fingerprints. You know, it, it's we all bring something different to the table like no two guitar players ever play exactly the same no two singers the same no two drummers or bass players it's it's the timing the feel the dynamic the angle of attack on the pick you know your vibrato your phrasing your tone like it's like we were saying earlier it's in your fingertips so every every musician is unique and you find the right combination of people to play with and that creates a unique sound of a band and you know, it's it's never the same when you start pulling elements out of it. It never can be, mm. you know. You can always just find the closest thing to that, but it, it's never going to be quite the same, you know. And it, it's, you look at a band like ACDC nowadays, you know. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Angus is in the band, yeah. and from what I'm hearing next time they tour, that, that'll be about it, you know. Yeah. It, so it, it's... At what point does it cease to be ACDC? Mm-hmm. So, um, now I understand that, that the music is what really outlives all of us, you know. When people come to see any rock show they're there because of the the music that that band has written and recorded and created that's that's timeless you know Mm. but it's there's also a lot to be said for for the integrity of a lineup of a band you know
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble
2: ask you this if you're just talking about that and you're talking about when steve clark passes away and you come in to to play with def leppard how hard was that for you to come into a band where those four guys five guys have been a gang mm-hmm. and now from what i understand and a pretty integral part of the songwriting process and kind of the, yeah. the chemistry obviously of
3: the band and, yeah. and here you come it it was actually easier for me than it was for them, for them. because of, because you know ever since day one with def leppard every time the joe or Sav, or Rick, or Phil, or even Pete Willis back in the day, Anytime that they had looked to their right, it would have been Steve Clark on stage right, and all of a sudden it wasn't, it was mm-hmm. someone else. So at that stage, I'd been in Dio, I'd been in Whitesnake, I'd, I'd done a spell with a band called River Dogs, I'd done a record with Lou Cram. but I, I was used to coming into a situation and making it work. So it was a little bit easier for me to walk into that band, plus I was a huge Def Leppard fan, I was very, very familiar with the music, Going back to before the first album, I mean, mm-hmm. I had the the, the early singles. The EP, I, remember. I remember buying wasted in the picture sleeve <laughs> and so, um, so I, I genuinely was a big fan. I was very very familiar with it, um, but there is no way in hell I was going to sound like Steve. I I, I can't, you mm-hmm. know. But uh, you know what? What the the band? It was a great loss for Def Leppard with Steve because Steve was also having been with Leppard for almost twenty five years now. I know that he was the big writer guy he was the riff guy really so and and um I I do feel that that that's a loss because when I write a riff for Def Leppard my my natural tendency is to write heavy you know so and it's not always going to fit the Def Leppard formula so um so it's a different kind of thing you know Steve and I are not at all similar guitar players you know but I've really learned to to appreciate what it was that he brought to Def Leppard. I mean, not that I didn't beforehand, but I mean, it, it really I've, I've gotten to live in his mm-hmm. skin, if you want to say, for like 24, 25 years. And I've really gotten to get very, very intimate with his music. Because I'm sure that was a huge audition process too. Because I'd actually
2: heard rumors here and there. There was there was three major name guys that yeah. were up for that gig.
3: Yeah, it, it wasn't an audition. It was more a courtship. I'm sure, you and know? Asking, it, it's yeah. it's more about the personality and working. Like when you're when you're in a band with people, we call it submarine duty. You know, because you're on a tour bus, <laughs> totally eighteen dude. hours a day or whatever. <laughs> um, so you know, you you kind of have to get along. So mm-hmm. the process took a month or two and involved getting together and playing and that that was easy enough i mean they knew i could play guitar what they didn't know when i joined the band was that i can actually sing Sing, and that was a big plus so important for them because steve actually didn't apparently steve (laughs) used to pretend to sing um so you know that that was I i guess a plus for the for for joe and the other guys in the band and um but it was we'd get together and we'd play and then we'd go to dinner and then we we'd play soccer on a sunday afternoon we even went to the the IMAX theater to see Rolling Stones movie you know it was stuff like that and then we'd go back a week later to the rehearsal room and play it was it was getting to know each other cuz Joe was the only one that i knew hmm. prior to joining mm-hmm. the band you know and uh, i'd had i guess a bit of a reputation because i'd been in DIO i'd gotten fired i'd been in Whitesnake for about 20 minutes you know <laughs> yeah. so um they wanted to make sure that it was going to work, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what that was about.
2: How was it for you, Phil, when you came into the Aussie camp? I mean, did you, you said you knew Randy, but what was it like with Jake playing with him? He's another great player.
1: Well, you know, I wasn't, who was I replacing? I was, re- I wasn't replacing them. Bob I was Bob replacing Bob Daisy. Right, yeah. So, um, and, uh, uh, there's, there's been a very, uh, back and forth relationship between Bob and, and the Aussie camp. And it, it, again, it sort of stems from a sort of writing issue. And, um, by the way I mean on the subject of that you know if I'm writing something for someone like Ozzy I wouldn't begrudge participating in that with them because they you know they honestly they are going to put a lot of money and a lot of effort into creating that taking that song and marketing it for me if I was making a shirt they're going to go go and do the production and you know get it out there and and made the song a very big hit I think it became a problem where they sort of expected uh, there wasn't a lot of a community writing thing and they expected songs to come in and then they sort of expected to not participate or share them but they really wanted to keep take control of it all of it yeah. so um that that was my my sort of issue with it um because you wrote when, shot in the dark right mm-hmm, yeah. yeah that's that's i know you have a yeah. credit on that yeah. yeah and and to be honest with you we changed a, you know we, we did quite a, a came up with a few different parts for that song so ozzy did have some participation in it he's not Completely, Mm -hmm. you know, just sitting there, there, right. But uh, when I first came in after Bob, um, I didn't have any strange, you know, it wasn't difficult for me at all. I had my friend Randy playing drums, and Randy and I were were so tight as friends, uh, as well as players. We played really well together, and we connected. And we'd known each other already for about four years or so. So um, that was very easy. Ozzy was just happy. You know, he was happy to hear a band that was really doing well and playing well together. Jake is a, you know, is, is a strange guy. He's yeah. very quiet kind of keeps yeah. to himself. Quirky guy. So it took a long, long time to really even get to know him. I mean, he he's not a conversational type of person. You can't really converse with him. You can't speak with him. You know, he's like one word answers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's not malicious. It's just the way he That's is. He is yeah. So that was probably the most awkward thing. Um, going out and playing in front of fans, I mean, I, I felt, a, a, a certain amount of humility because I was not just wanting, expecting to be accepted by, by every fan just because I'm standing on that stage. Mm-hmm. So I was always very humble about that and thinking, well, if people actually like me, uh, then, uh, then, you know, then I've earned that. But, right. uh, but, uh, that was, that was what the experience was like for mm. me. Yeah.
2: Well, let's talk about Last in Line, and Viv, and it's, it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, leaving Ronnie, getting fired in, in 86, and not playing those songs for 25 years or so. Not playing. Didn't even listen to didn't them. I didn't know the record. Which, just- <laughs> now, once again, as a fan, I'm like, like, yeah, I would go see you at Def Leppard. Always mm. great, great singing, but it's a different style of, of
3: playing guitar unless you're doing Wasted or something like yeah, that. Yeah, which we know? don't do very often. Right. right? Yeah, the so, challenge in Leppard is the vocal. Sure. That's, you know, that's where I really have guitar to Guitar-wise, you're recording and you're playing a couple
2: leads, but it's more of the singing. But wow, yeah. like Vivian Campbell, the ripping Vivian Campbell, you didn't do that for a long time. And mm-hmm. what prompted you to finally decide to to get back with those well, great Well, tunes? like I say,
3: I, I didn't even... Own the records or, or want anything to do with that for, Just, for the longest time because it, it did leave such a bad taste mm-hmm. in my mouth. The way that things went down, like I said, you know, Ronnie from day one had promised us that by the third album it would be an equitable situation. And we actually, a lot of people don't understand this. it's not about money, it's about principle. Of course it and is. Very, very big on principle. Dude, I agree. Um, I and, and we were out there playing arenas around the world, uh, playing songs that we wrote with Ronnie and earning less than our road crew. There were certain mm. people on our crew who were getting paid more than the band. <laughs> you know, and that just, after a while, that's just wrong. So mm. I, I was very big on the principle, and I was the first one, because I had the least to lose. Back then, I wasn't married or anything. Didn't have any kids. You know, I was just young and reckless. And so I, I went to Ronnie, and I said, Ronnie, you promise us this when we want to discuss this and like i said they kept pushing off and then eventually wendy fired me so it left such a bad taste in my mouth because i had invested so much emotionally into that band into those records those songs and just it was your it, band it, it, it was our my, band yeah, yeah it was my life i felt part of the team i was definitely part of the creative team and, and to just be dismissed like that left me feeling so hurt i wanted nothing to do with it for years and then you know with the passage of all this time you know time changes your perception you know and things happened and um, I, I think it is also you know Ronnie Ronnie passed away in 2010 and I think once Ronnie had, had had passed away I was able to look at it in a different way you know well a couple of things happened around the time right after Ronnie passed away I, I got a call from Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy asking if I wanted to be a stunt guitarist on a Thin Lizzy tour in Europe because Leopard were, were, were working that year and I Thin Lizzy were so important to me when I was a teenager, before I was in Dio, when I was really honing my craft. Lizzy were the band for me. Uh, Scott Gorham, Brian Robertson, but in particular, Gary Moore. Gary was the guy I emulated the most. Another Irish guy. Yeah. (laughs) So to be on stage with Scott Gorham and Brian Downey, playing Jailbreak, playing Black Rose, playing Emerald, playing the songs of my youth, really reignited my passion for guitar playing again. And so I came off of that tour and I called... Vinnie Apsey, i called jimmy and i said do you want to get together and, and just play in a, r- a room like no agenda that's all it was i just wanted to play guitar and that's what we did so we started playing and uh, at that stage that was around the middle of 2011 ronnie had passed away a year before um, and it had been about 27 years since i would played with those guys and as soon as we started playing it was just like that first night in london in 1982 it was absolutely Instantaneous. It was and a chemistry. Media. The chemistry had, hadn't gone away at all. And I got so excited and we all got so excited. We all just played and played and played and we were laughing and smiling. And it was just such a joyous thing. And it made me realize that this was as much my music as it was Ronnie's, that I'd shut it out for so many years because of the hurt and, it, it, it's my heritage as much as it was Jimmy's and Vinny's and Ronnie's. And and so I just really started to embrace it. And I also really started to reconnect with my guitar again. Mm. It had been a long, long time since I'd had to challenge myself to play like that. So uh, one thing led to another. We went out and we did some gigs just playing songs from the first three albums that we were involved with, with Ronnie. Um, we decided to call it Last in Line. I, I just kind of blurted it out. Hey, you want to do some gigs? Let's go out and call it Last in Line because... You know, Ronnie had passed away. We are we are the last in line. You know, we're the last ones there. So, um, and we, we had no real agenda just other than to play a couple of local shows. And that's when we met Andrew. Vinny introduced us to Andrew Freeman. And when Andy came in, that's when I had the idea to, to go do some shows because Andy didn't sound anything like Ronnie, but he's a very powerful and passionate singer who could do justice to the songs, but he didn't have that tonality of Ronnie. If Andy had walked into the room and sounded like a Ronnie clone I would never have wanted to do it. It just would have been wrong. Um, but also the the fact like I said that, that Ronnie had passed away really kind of cast all of this in a different light. And I said this is our heritage as much as it was his, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think Ronnie would actually approve. Mm. You know, I think Ronnie Is up there somewhere (laughs) smiling down on us you know i think uh did did you ever have a chance to talk to him before he passed away no i never did no we we never saw each other again yeah Uh, we 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 made the mistake of talking to each other in the press Ah, you know and that's that never works out well i i said some very mean things about ronnie and he said some very mean things about me Mm -hmm. you know and um i know that if if he were sitting at this table here today we'd be good it would take a 10 minute conversation just to get the Yeah, get the shit out of the way and get going. Yeah, Yeah. we we would have been good. I mean, you know, Ronnie and I never had a great relationship. Personally, at times we did, but it was it was a bit like being in a band with your dad. (laughs) To be honest, because he was that much older. Sure, right. When I started, I I, I was a kid, and it was so. To correct that, it's a bit like being in a band with your stepfather. We had this very strange kind of relationship, and I was very respectful but also very fearful of him because he was a hero to me i mean i like i say i was listening to mob rules and heaven and hell literally the week before i fly to london to audition for this band so it was a very surreal experience to to be with ronnie and i actually lived in the house with him for many many months Mm -hmm. too so you know, And i say, oh, Ronnie, I'm just going to head out now. And what time are you going to be back? Do you have, do you have a key? I've got to leave. Deal's going to kill <laughs> yeah. me if it's 4 in the morning. It was quite bizarre. But but we we had a difficult kind of relationship. But it, it definitely worked musically. Mm-hmm. You know? It sure absolutely. did. It, from, do you, do you feel that this is almost kind of, in, in a way, like a homage and a tribute to Ronnie to do this, to kind absolutely, of keep that yeah. style alive? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Least, yep. I kinda we're, got that we're, we're celebrating this music, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I said we're not it would have been tacky and cheap to go out with with a Ronnie clone. Sure. You know, and I didn't want to do anything like that. You guys almost
2: did what what DC did after Bon Scott passed away and getting a Brian Johnson who can sing those songs but it's a completely different
3: style of singer. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, a lot of people have said to me since, you know, like why didn't you get so and so or so and so, you know, this guy sounds just like Ronnie. Yeah. That that's totally missing the point. Mm-hmm. You know, Ronnie was the best of his genre and anything else is going to be a cheap second. Right, so right. Andy can
1: do justice to these songs in a different way. You know, he brings his own style to it. Yeah. You Were know, you a Dio and, fan? But, and, still? Uh, of course. I mean, through through the the, the Black Sabbath connection, mm-hmm. of course. And, and and in a way, I I, uh, I I kind of see Dio and Ozzy as being, you know, I think I call them sister bands. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. no and, doubt about uh, it. And uh, so we we always, uh, you know, whenever we came across each other, there was a certain. Uh, respect and uh, and also a certain amount of common ground that we that was already you know pre-stated Established, yeah. pre-established and so and, and and you know even with 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 Jimmy which I'm sure we'll we'll get onto in a moment but um you know one of the things just to touch on what Bill was saying I think a lot of people might suggest that they should have found a singer that sounds like Ronnie Dio cuz then it would be authentic when you look at a lot of bands now a lot of bands, all they're doing is going out and playing their hits from the past. And one of the things that I find so exciting about this band is that this is definitely part of the agenda, but that the new record that they did stands up so much on its own. And even the few shows that we've done, I can see the response from the audience. They're really keen to hear this new material, and that's a very um, rare and precious thing now. And having someone like Andrew singing there and, and bringing a different a completely different flavor to it I think it's just fantastic It's, a, it's just a, a really great uh, well, In uh, a
2: way too it's almost what Thin Lizzy did When you played with him having, uh, having a dude singing with them right now I can't remember his name for Thin Lizzy Oh, Ricky Warwick. Ricky Warwick. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not a fill. It's not a fill in at Columbia, yeah. but they're also doing new material. Mm-hmm. So the band, because you can't go out there and just do your songs from the first three records. That would probably get pretty crazy after a while. But yeah. to have new material and then throw in the kind of sprinkle in the classics. Yeah, I'm sure that's a
3: lot of fun. Well, with us, with Last in Line, this all happened. Like I said, very organically. We weren't. It wasn't like we had a 10 year plan. Let's mm-hmm, start doing mm-hmm. this and let's do that. You know, we just started playing shows for fun. One thing led to another. We. Went to the UK a couple of years ago. Did some shows. We went to Japan. Did the Loud Park Festival in 2013, and it was basically right after that that the Frontiers Records got in touch and said, "Would you be interested in writing and recording an album of new material?" And we honestly hadn't thought of it that far, but but when somebody's actually offering you the 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 opportunity to do that, we we decided to do it. So um, that's what we we went into the studio and we started writing, and uh, it it just fell out of us. Mm-hmm. It was we the only agenda we had going to write that record. Uh, was that we wanted to approach it the same way that we approached the Holy Diver record. Um, And that's Jimmy and Vinnie and myself in a room just kicking around ideas. And that's that's how it started. And so we, we wrote and recorded three or four songs and then a couple of months later we did the same thing over a period of a week or so and then again. So it was like three different installments over four or five mm-hmm. or six months or whatever but but there is a certain sound to it. There was a sound that like I said when Jimmy and Vinny and I played together that was a sound of the early deal records and and but that wasn't um a preconceived notion of ours that what that wasn't something we engineered that's just what happens when we play it's together the yeah, it is a chemistry it is a chemistry so so that's why the record sounds exciting in that way it sounds like the early deal records because it's guess what it's the guys it's the same probably, dude who did the early deal records you know it's funny uh, do, do you know the producer heard the name andy sneep
2: He's a he's a pretty big time metal Mm -hmm. producer guy. And he went and saw you guys at one of your early shows. He lives in uh, Nottingham, wherever, somewhere near you were. And he sent me a video of of whatever song it was. And he said, you know what? He said, bands don't play like this anymore. He said, it makes you realize how great this band is playing with all these other bands because this this is a band. Yeah. The sound, the power, the chemistry. And Andy's a musical snob. Yeah, if, it, well, if it sucked, you okay. would have said they well, sucked. But... I, I'm
3: very flattered, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is, there's there's a real energy. When you play with Vinny Appice. you have to play on a level. <laughs> Vinny is the loudest drummer Absolutely. I've ever played <laughs> with. And I, I've played with a lot of great <laughs> yeah. drummers. Yeah. Vinny is to me he's so inspiring I get so inspired when Vinny plays like even when we were writing and I I show up with nothing mm-hmm. which happens a lot <laughs> so I show up I got no ideas I'm thinking shit I hope Jimmy has some good ideas <laughs> like, I got nothing to bring to the party Vinny starts playing a beat and I'm instantly inspired I'll find something to play on time right. he just he lights my fire that way you know so um, it's it's a real joy to play with him but but you've got to bring your A game when you play with Vinny sure. I mean you got to be on it because he as, as Phil will tell you he, yeah. he goes off on some <laughs> Weird tangents, you know, just like out of nowhere, he'll he'll take you on some diversion, and you gotta you gotta be on your you
1: toes to keep on. up.
2: How was it for you to start playing yeah. with Vinnyappi?
1: Well, we've actually been playing together in a, a celebrity band that we oh. have called Big Noise since okay. two thousand and five or two thousand and six. Ah. so I've I've uh, I've gotten used to to what the, some of the things that Vinny will do, and we have a lot of fun with it. I've I've got some. Uh, I've I've been privileged to play with some truly remarkable drummers and some great people. Everyone from you know Greg Bissonnette, Simon Phillips. I've done a lot of work with. Uh, I worked with uh, Steve Lukather a lot. So things that were kind of veering onto the sort of jazz rock mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. of genre. So I'm fairly a um, fairly adept at dealing with complex timings and complex rhythms. And and Vinny loves to do stuff like that. So he'll take off and go off on a completely different uh, polyrhythm. And if you don't know where you are, you can't hold your own. You're lost. <laughs> you're finished. And so, um, I actually really, really enjoy playing with Vinny for that reason. I don't know where he's going to go, and when he does go somewhere, it keeps he'll you on your toes. As a keeps musician, you on your toes. Right? And then, when you make these things work, sometimes I just look at him and I know I can see what he's going to do, and we'll play together. And then, when that comes out, when that gels, it's just a fantastic elation. We the two of us look that. at each other and we just like laugh. We did it. Yeah. We did it.
2: Vivian Campbell and Phil Sussan from Last and Line are sitting here with me now. Vivian, how was it for you playing those solos uh, that you played on the Dio records now compared to when you were 21? Were they hard? Oh, like,
3: very, hard very, very. I had, I had to really do a lot of homework to get back up to speed <laughs> on that. Um, and the other thing is I couldn't change it. Like Back in Dio days, I used to not always play the same stuff. But you could get away with it when it's fresh. But Mm -hmm. those records have been around for decades now, literally 30 years for 33 or something. So the solos, for anyone who's familiar with the record, when they come to see Last in Line, they're going to want to hear pretty much note for note. So I wanted to be as accurate as possible and as, uh, as authentic as possible to the original recording. So I really had to go back and learn how to do it. I actually went on YouTube. And watched other people. You know how you have these videos <laughs> on YouTube, and you don't even see who the person right, is. You right. just see the guitar You're in the hand. you know, kid or something. So, some, someone in their bedroom playing along to the record. So, I went on YouTube wow. for certain things, like the solo in Rainbow in the Dark, mm. I couldn't remember there were certain parts. So, I think, did I play it here, or did I do this inversion? And I couldn't quite remember some of them. So, I went on YouTube, and, and I and most of them were like horrendously wrong you know no that's shit that's shit that's shit and then i i found one guy i have no idea who he was because like i said you couldn't even see his face but i could see he was playing a les paul i think and and i said oh yeah that's it that's exactly how i did it so thank you yeah, whoever you are guy right? on youtube some, some
2: guy playing a les paul yeah, yeah we're, we're helping
3: we're... me reconnect with my original yeah, souls. Was... but the, the another thing is though too i had no appreciation for what i was doing back then i used to be so insecure as a guitarist, because of all these G.I.T. Hollywood guys who were just monster technicians, and I, I've never had that technique. I can't do the alternate picking or sweep mm. arpeggios or any of that stuff. I always was so frustrated in the eighties. I wanted to play like Inve and like Paul Gilbert and all these great players and George Lynch, but I didn't have the the technique for that. And so I was really down on my playing. You know, like I, I just didn't have any confidence. And but with this passage of time and going back and and relearning. My solos from 30-something years ago. It, I have a new appreciation for him. I can say, okay, that's why Ronnie wanted me to play guitar in his band. But back then, I didn't get it. Which is so incredible yeah. because, like I
2: said, like Vivian Campbell as a kid, being it's like, Vivian Campbell, he's right up there with Randy Rhodes or whoever, like, the fear that you kind of didn't uh, I, know for sure. I didn't feel that at all. Dude, no, yeah, was... we all were. You guys never came to Winnipeg. That's from, from Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. Dio never came to Winnipeg, Canada, so I never got to see you uh, play
1: yeah. those songs
2: live, yeah. So, did you ever uh, playing Jimmy's stuff? Was it hard? Because once again, the the, the rock solid on the on bass on the rhythms.
1: Well, uh, Jimmy and I had been friends for a long time. I was good friends with Brian Robertson, uh, who was, as Viv had said, was a guitar player in uh, in Wild Horses, and he introduced me to Jimmy mm. uh, back in London when we were. I was living in London, and this was probably eighty one or something, right? You know, and uh, uh, Jimmy and I got on really well. Uh, I was much more friendly with Brian. But then when I came over here in uh, 84 or 85, whenever it was, the first time, the first night I went out, I ran into Jimmy Bain. He said, Oh, yeah, remember we met. Yeah, Bravo's friend, this and Well, I got a house out here. If you want to come and steer, man, you can come and steer the house. So uh, was... with Jimmy accent, It's right? <laughs> not bad, That's right? pretty close. I, that <laughs> I had a little bit of experience with him. And <laughs> yeah. then I'd see him loads, you know, many, many times. And then one day I did, I, I came out here and, and I took him up on it. And I went up to the house and I just moved, sort of kind of moved in. I didn't really move in, but I just never left. <laughs> and so the two of us were living up there and we did everything together. We had a great time. So uh, amongst other things, you know, we would sit there and jam together as well. He had gotten all of this Yamaha equipment... Um, That he, I I think, as a result of Jimmy Bain, Yamaha doesn't give any equipment to anybody anymore (laughs) because he'd gotten so much stuff and he'd gotten golf clubs from a golf cart and God knows what else, and he'd set all this stuff up in his garage and it was a wall of Yamaha amps, and and all of this stuff and he had it all connected up and if you went in there and played it was. It was just really loud, <laughs> loud. Yeah, but we would go, we'd go in there and we would jam all the time, and we. So I, I, I was kind of playing double bass with him all the time. We mm-hmm. were doing this stuff, and we were just th- trading licks around.
3: I think Phil is, yeah. is probably the closest you could say to, to Jimmy I was going to say you're almost
2: like a better looking version of Jimmy too. I used to tell him that all the yeah, time. there's <laughs> a similarity there like, like his little brother or yeah, something, exactly. you know?
3: But I think, you know, because of Phil's background playing with Ozzy, you know, playing that kind of music right. and, mm-hmm. and uh, like almost a parallel existence coming up with Ozzy while we were playing with Ronnie, it's an innate sort of a thing. You know, he, he very much plays in the style that Jimmy did. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like I said before, no two people ever play alike. Sure. But, but, but Phil really, I think, understands the, the DNA of this music. Of this yeah. Team, yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and that aside, aside as well, I was also a big fan of Jimmy's, mm-hmm. you know, the Rainbow album and the stuff. Player, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was a great, great bass player. I, I think probably one of the most oh, underrated. underrated absolutely. Ahead, yeah. Yeah. People underrated. don't realize it. I mean, no. people think, oh, he's just the bass player guy. Yeah. But, <laughs> There's a hell of a lot to it yeah. I, mean, I mean he's as, he's as powerful And on those Dio tracks He's as powerful as, as Vinnie is Playing the drums I mean it, it, mm-hmm. you can't have a drummer That's that big And then bring in somebody That's sort of tucked around In the back Sure he has gotta lost. be somebody Who can hold their own yeah. And be as powerful mm-hmm. and, J- and Jimmy was absolutely that and he also
2: one of the like a, a true rock and roll character as well.
3: Oh jeez, yeah. You know? I mean there's there's stories I could tell you about Jimmy. I mean he, he was Mr. Rock and Roll. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy and I shared uh three different Oakwood apartments while we were making records <laughs> over the years. And uh, believe me, that's that was quite the experience. Back in the eighties to be a roommate with Jimmy Bain. <laughs> He's one of those guys that looked old even when he was young. Yeah. You well, see certain guys like that, right? Jimmy Jimmy, you know, he, he partied hard. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he definitely he was a real deal. He lived the rock and roll lifestyle, you know. I,
2: I I vaguely know the story because I heard you tell it. But I, I, was there a time when the cops came looking for him
3: and he hid in a road case yes, or something? Yeah. Can you tell that story? I think it was Kansas City. We were in a bar. We had a night off before the show in Kansas, and Jimmy and I were in a bar, and he got into it with someone, and it was he hit someone, mm-hmm. and uh, they went and, and filed charges. And we heard after the show the following night, we heard the police were here for Jimmy. So he, we were in the dressing room so we we put him in the wardrobe case and wheeled the case right right past the cops. And they were James Bain is in they were knocking on the door. Is there a James Baney Oh, you just left. You just missed him. You know, he's, he's just, we'll we'll see if we can find him. And Jimmy's in the back of the truck. So yeah. he had to wait there till
1: the cops left. But
3: back uh, in those days, that, that's all it took. If you just get out of the building, yeah. If you got out of dodge, you were all right. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Okay. I
1: think he probably. I think he stayed in that road case until about 1989, probably.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and then Vinnie was saying, like, you know, when we heard the cops coming. You say to Ronnie, Ronnie, don't don't announce us tonight. You know, don't kind of point out who's in the band, kind of thing. You know, <laughs> <On> base, <laughs> don't make it name. easy. For me. Yeah. <laughs> so how was it I mean, not how was it, but it's just a crazy story. You, you
2: reunite after all these years, and then you go do the the, the Def Leppard cruise, and yeah. here Jimmy passed away
3: on the cruise. Yeah, it was um, a month before the the Heavy Crown album was released. Before the album was even released. Yeah. yeah, so a month before the records come out, we we had a tour booked. For right after the leopard cruise and the leopard cruise was going to be the first thing we did mm-hmm. um and then off the back of that a few weeks later we were going to start this uh so debuting
2: the, the new the, line the new album yeah lineup. exactly yeah. Album, yeah so it,
3: it was just the worst timing and, mm-hmm. and but you know it, it's been such a tragic blow to lose jimmy because because jimmy was a friend of mine i mean I, i'd known him for so long and I, I do if it wasn't for jimmy i would never have been in the deal band you know he was the one who like dad called me, called my <laughs> dad at two in the morning, yeah, and and recommended me to Ronnie and stuff. So I I feel like I really owed Jimmy so much, you know. And like mm. I said, we we were roommates for so long, and it was it was just really really sad, you know. And and Jimmy believed in this record and this band so much. Something that really bothered me right after Jimmy died was a lot of people in the press just immediately jumped to the conclusion that his death was substance related mm-hmm. you know because he did have a bit of a history with that but but uh i i was at pains to point out that that for the last two years of jimmy's life he was he was sober and in fact when we were writing the the album jimmy was in a halfway house and he couldn't get out before 4 p.m and he had to be in by 10 and i'd go around it was in hollywood a horrible little place and i'd go around and pick him up at four fifteen. fifteen, would go to the rehearsal room meet up with vinnie get some ideas together and then i take them back before 10 o'clock and drop Mm -hmm. and you know so jimmy was this band and and this record was the only thing that jimmy really had in his life to focus on and and he was focused on it intently and that was that was his beacon of light Mm -hmm. that was his salvation in the last couple of years of his life he believed in this project so much he was so excited to be doing this and that's why he should never have gone on that cruise i mean really well we didn't know he had cancer i mean i know i don't know if jimmy did either but we knew he had pneumonia you know he'd been diagnosed as having pneumonia and he was taking antibiotics for it and he was not well but jimmy insisted on doing it he wanted to do it he you know i always say this about him. He, he he was a true rock and roller to the end and he died with his boots on mm-hmm. you know literally I yeah mean, we we literally found him in in full regalia in his cabin on that ship you know and um he he was living it to the end, you know, and he, he believed in us so much and it was so sad that, that he never got to actually mm-hmm. see it. Um and, and you know, for a while we cancelled that tour that we were gonna do and then you know Vinny and Andy and I talked about it and, and we realized that that we, we owed it to Jimmy because Jimmy had helped us make such a great record that we owed it to do something with it. Mm-hmm. We owed it to Jimmy. So that's why we we started looking around. We were very fortunate to get Phil to come in and uh eric norlander on keys and we went out and we did some shows and as, as a quick segue to listen, we
2: all, we all have to go at some point to go on a cruise ship after playing a gig wearing your rock and roll clothes
3: <laughs> i can think of worse ways yeah, that, right? yeah you know? he, was, he was in the caribbean <laughs> he did all right yeah so he had cancer i didn't even know that none of us knew um and you said he, he might not even known i i suspect jimmy had to know something <clears throat> was going on <clears throat> you know i mean you, you can't have lung cancer that bad and not know that that something's happening. Um, But Jimmy would have been the kind of guy that wouldn't have told you, you Mm -hmm. know, he wouldn't have said anything, about it. he was never a complainer. Um, The other thing about Jimmy was, you know, he would never have done anything about it. He's also the kind of guy he would never have gone to a doctor and, Mm -hmm. you know, help me add some years to my life. Jimmy just would have said, Quick, I, th- I think Lemmy was and, right. the same. Lemmy found out yeah, he had exactly. cancer and yeah. died the next day. I think he was like, oh, I'm just going to take myself out. Yeah, you know, exactly. This is, this is, I'm not going Yeah, there's there a certain mentality. And I, I do think that, that, that Lemmy, what I know about Lemmy and what I know about Jimmy,
1: that they were very much you know, similar, yeah. similar characters. <laughs> That's yeah. true, right?
3: So, How did you get the call to, to come join
2: the band, Phil?
1: Well, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's probably due to my friendship with uh, Vinny. The and Vinny. also, I was, I was, uh, I was uh, doing the Raining the Rock Vault show with yeah. Andrew. In and Vegas. have been doing that for yeah for oh, quite some time. Okay. And uh I think it's probably something, you know, some somehow uh, through, through those picture. two. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got a a, a call from uh, Vinny and he said um would you be interested in coming down and playing? You know, we're going to see if we want to carry that, you know, carry on doing mm-hmm. what we're doing and I said of course, I'd love to, you know.
3: And you know when uh, Phil came in and played, we knew right away that he was the right guy for us it, in so many ways. The playing his personality mm-hmm. and the fact that he can sing too because jimmy was a great singer and, wow. and we needed i don't want to sing in last in line i get enough of that in my day joe <laughs> i just want to play guitar <laughs> yeah so that, and that way i was you know i could be, andy always said to me well why don't you sing the bv i just don't want to yeah. i don't want to sing in last in <laughs> line. i just want to play guitar yeah. so when, when phil walked in it, it was it was instant. it was we knew that that he was but once again we we're talking about def
2: leppard earlier those guys never playing those songs without steve clark you had never played those dio songs without jimmy bain that's Vinny true. had played them yeah. with other guys, but yeah. and Jimmy had too, but you never had. Yeah,
3: well, there's a certain quality, you know. We we played with a few guys, and and, and one or two of them were actually exceptionally good, but they just didn't have quite the right style. Mm-hmm. When when Phil walked in, like I said, it's that DNA thing, and I think it goes back to his playing with Ozzy, right. playing that kind of music. You know, he knows how to keep up with us yeah. because you really, like I said, but you got to bring your A game when you play with Vinny, right? You know, so there's not many that can really. Do it Hone in the way that, that Jimmy that way. did, right, you know? right. And uh, fortunately for us, you know, Phil is very capable. So, yeah. how, how much do you, would you do? You want to do with Last in
2: Line, and, and I know you guys are about ready to do a tour. Yeah, is this going to be your second band? Everyone has two bands now. <laughs> Everyone seems right. right?
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, I, you know, obviously, I've been very busy the last couple of years with Def Leppard, but um, I, I'm very passionate about Last in Line, and, and I'm very grateful for the response that the the Heavy Crown album has gotten. People want us to play. And I certainly want to do it. It's, it's very cathartic for me to get out and play this music. I mean, it really makes me feel alive. And, you know, I, I've, I've been dealing with a little lymphoma for the last couple of years, too. Right. So so that's kind of realigned my thought process. To make you realize like, life's pretty short. Absolutely. And yeah. yeah. And and to really, I, I take great joy in, in everything, you know. Um, every day is, is to be celebrated. And, mm-hmm. and I absolutely love the feeling of just Beating the shit out of my last Paul again, which you is know. great to hear you say.
2: Because, like I said, for years, like, please, and now you're doing it. That's 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 cool as a fan to hear that as well.
3: Well, it's, thank you. It's, it's great wow. to be aggressive with it. I find it so cathartic, you know. So so we will definitely do anything and everything we can with this band you want this a um,
2: long term you want to keep growing
3: absolutely That's yeah we're, we're already uh we've been offered frontiers has offered us the opportunity to make another record early next year so we're definitely going to do that um and that'll be a different an exciting chapter for us because we'll be writing with, with, with phil well, yeah. for the first time and with eric and um so i'm, I'm excited about that you know uh we're we're gonna we start playing on october 22nd we got like five shows in nevada and california and then we go to europe and uk for a month uh, i know it's it's a lot less than we had originally intended to do to promote this record but you know you, yeah, circumstances were happened, what, what yeah. they were you know so so hopefully you know next year in 2017 um i know leopard aren't going to be too busy next year so i'll have more of an opportunity and hopefully everyone else's schedule will be mm-hmm. um Clear enough for where we can actually do. Is it fun for you feel
2: to be in a band where you're gonna be playing, you know, original stuff and stuff that you've yeah. like before again?
1: Like, like I said, I I'm, I love I love playing in this band, not and not only because of the the classic songs that we do play, and and for me that's paying not just tribute but hopefully doing justice to Jimmy as well. Mm. You know, for for our friendships you know, the the time that we spent together where we we were inseparable for a long time, socially and what have you. This is maybe the little thing i can do to to bring his his mm-hmm. product in front of other people and do it justice but also um you know for the future as well and one of the things that i love uh, about this band and which i think i shared about the Aussie band as well that, that viv was touching on earlier is these bands are basically three piece bands and that's what it is right so when you look at it you've got a singer and you've got a three piece and it's my favorite format is a three piece mm-hmm. band because you can't mess around, and when a guitar player goes off to play between the bass player and the drummer, you have to, you know, you have to create that canvas, and and you can't have any holes in it. Mm-hmm. It's got to be so so powerful, and that's something I really learned, I think, with Ozzy more than anything else, and maybe that's why walking in and playing with these guys, uh, it's it's I get that same that same feeling, and it's it's very very gratifying, mm-hmm. and it's just wonderful. It, it really. And, and it's also very tense. I mean, you know, you can't, me- you can't mess you up. You gotta be paying You know, man. you are paying attention. Maybe looking at that chick in the front <laughs> row. <laughs> no, 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 not there are no chicks. In
2: the <laughs> this is it's a deal.
3: Dudes <laughs> in black t shirts. Yeah. No. It's,
1: it's a prison crowd. <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of bored looking girlfriends, but you know. <laughs>
3: no, I, actually, I, I'm happy to say there are some, some <laughs> women who
1: appreciate yeah. less uh, than a like that's, that's nice. A couple, a couple last things that I have to ask you about, about
3: Hearing Aid. How cool yeah. of a thing that was. Uh, Jimmy's uh, idea. That yeah. was Jimmy's idea. Yeah, oh, really? it grew out of Jimmy and I were doing an interview on KLOS, the station here, the rock station here in LA. And um it was a few weeks or whatever after the We Are the World thing had come out. Right. And the DJ I can't even remember who it was, my apologies. I don't remember who was interviewing us, but they said, uh, you know, how come no one from the hard rock community was invited to We Are the World? You know, it was all these the closest was Steve Perry, I think, from Journey. Yeah, it's the yeah.
2: closest you even came yeah. <laughs> close to being invited.
3: And um, so, yeah, and we said, well, we were because back then, you know, we didn't win Grammys. You know, Hard Rock was kind of a pariah. You know, it sold millions of records and mm-hmm. millions of concert tickets, but but didn't really get recognized. Yes. You know, it wasn't legitimate in the eyes of the industry. Still, really doesn't. But yeah, yeah. So, so Jimmy, like. Right off the cuff, Jimmy said, we should do one of our own. We should call it hairnade. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> so we split our sides laughing. We thought, What, what a great title. And Jimmy yeah. and I, and this is at the time when Jimmy and I were roommates at one of the Oakwood apartments. So we left the studio and we got back to our apartment that night. And, and Jimmy said, well, why don't we actually do this for real? And, uh, okay, well, let's we'll start with the song. So so Jimmy and I, we wrote the music for the song. And we knew that we couldn't get anywhere without Ronnie's involvement. We needed a heavy hitter in the industry. No one was going to listen to us. Mm-hmm. So we took the song to Ronnie and said, Ronnie, do you want to get in on this? Do you want to write the lyrics and, and help us with this? And at the time, we were making The Sacred Heart, the third Dio album. And we were right in the middle of it. We've got a, a huge workload. And Ronnie basically said, I, I don't have the time for this diversion, I got to focus on finishing this record. And we said, okay, fair enough. Um, and a week or two later, something changed his mind. He came back. He said, okay, let's do this. Um, and he's, we, we kicked it around, and he came up with the lyric. And we had a publicist at the time called Sharon Weiss, and, and Sharon came on board with us, and she was very, very instrumental in, in helping us contact all these other people. I didn't know hardly anyone in sure. the industry. I literally would go to Sharon's office First thing in the morning, she would hook me up with a phone number, too. This is John Bon Jovi's phone number. This is so-and-so's phone number. Or if you call this person, you can get their number. And I'm just cold calling, calling people. Calling Yeah. Hey, hey, you don't know me. My name is Vivian Campbell. I'm the guitar player with Dio," And tr- and just ha- had my spiel done, you know, giving them the whole thing, you know, in a nutshell. Like, this is what we're doing. Is there any chance, you know, you can come and play with us? Or, or calling airlines or hotels or studios, just trying to get everything free, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so it it was a lot of work and and for a few weeks i didn't play guitar at all i was just that was my job was was organizing all of that you know and it was it was quite the event but i was really glad when it was over all time that was knackered was there anybody that you that you called that you really wanted that just didn't respond um no no i gotta say everyone i mean a lot of people couldn't make it i did mention john bon Jovi yeah. and he couldn't make it but i did actually reach out to him um did you call van halen I couldn't get a hold of them. Gotcha. Uh, it's no. a little bit harder, right? Yeah. That's the yeah. higher ground. They're, they're different level, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Above my pay grid. Um, so, yeah, but I, I'm happy to say that, that everyone that I spoke to was uh, was up for it. And it might and be Van Halen. He's calling There is no I you
2: heard you want me late. for some charity thing.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you're talking about uh, 1980s, uh, you know, L.A. What was it like? recording that with all of those crazy rockers
3: in the studio, was it pretty debaucherous? Not that I was aware. I mean, I'm sure if you'd walked into the bathroom there's probably a few <laughs> things going on. But again, I mean I I was so preoccupied with looking after everyone and mm-hmm. making sure things were I was I still had my business hat on yeah, when yeah. I was doing that you know and then at, at the end of the day it was like oh okay, I gotta play a guitar solo sorry forgive my <laughs> language um Phil's mum is here yes sorry miss <laughs> just 30 um, years 40 years I'm sure you used to <laughs> I uh I said, oh yeah shit I gotta play a guitar solo so it was, it was almost like an afterthought and and I remember not wanting to play because Neil Sean was there and it was the first time I'd really heard what he can do. He might be the best and, at all of them. Oh, right? that was yeah. that was frightening. I mean, he just I said, Stop doing that, stop showing off. You know, he just <laughs> he was so good, you know, and, and George Lynch and and Engve, all these great players were there and, and I was just like I said back then I had no confidence and and whatever confidence I did have was was Completely eroded that day because I'm in the room with all these great players. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I wanted to do was a guitar so I was quite happy to to be keeping myself busy rhythms. with, with <laughs> well playing rhythm and making sure that everyone yeah, else yeah. was you know got their ride to and from LAX. You know, you know what I always love about this and it goes
2: back to your time with the Chuck Berry thing. I love what Adrian Smith and Dave Murray did. Instead of trying to go head to head with the guitar players, they, they did this really cool harmony melody mm-hmm. that went underneath the chorus. I just thought, what a cool way to like avoid wanking off. Yeah. Let's just do something really melodic and stick it behind here. Yeah. It was kind of a good idea.
3: Yeah, I, I love guitar harmony. I mean, Thin Lizzie again. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Scott Gorman and Brian Robertson really yeah, kind of nuanced yeah. that. I mean, that was so much a part of, of Lizzie's sound. But yeah, it definitely is a way to go with two guitar players and make it work more.
2: Last question, um, what's your favorite Last In Line song
1: to play, Phil, and what's your favorite Dio song to play in the set? Uh, well, Devil In Me I love. Good tune, yeah. I love that track. I love playing that track. It's just, just so heavy. Yeah. And there's a there's a pocket in it, and when you sit in that pocket, it's just like a train <laughs> train that's just coming through your front room. You know, it's fantastic. As far as which song, which Dio song, it changes every night. I mean, mm-hmm. I, th- I think to myself, wow, I love playing we rock and then have a great time playing that and then it's uh don't talk to strangers and i I enjoy playing that i'm sort of i keep cycling around them you know that i there's there's no songs i don't like that i don't like playing and they're they're also very you know nostalgic as well sure so you know you get this kind of thing in the back of your neck sometimes where you have to kind of wake up in the middle of a, a song and you look around and you think wow you know i'm playing this song that, that i used to admire so much way back way back when and it's, and i have and it, there's some validation to it because of the people i'm playing with so yeah, yeah. would you Viv? um well from the new album from the heavy crown album star maker is
3: my absolute favorite mm-hmm. to play i think we we play that very very well mm-hmm. um and it's such a dynamic song it's an exciting song to play live but i do have a second one martyr martyr, <laughs> martyr is is so much fun to play and and it's, martyr was a jimmy riff Ah. Jimmy loved writing in F sharp, and that's <laughs> one of his. So, um, but it's it's such a, such an
1: exciting song to play. I like yeah. F sharp because you don't have to reach all the way down to the open <laughs> yes. E.
3: It's, it's worse hand it's comfortably. Like <laughs> yeah, it's a just, good Jimmy thing too, by the way. It just fell on F sharp, Jim, Jimmy. Jimmy came up with some great F sharp rest, and another one which is Jimmy's, which is one of my favorite to play from the Dio catalog, is, is straight through the heart. Oh, from yeah. from wow. a, yeah. the Holy Diver record, and that, that again Great was a tune. was a Jimmy B F sharp riff, yeah. you know
2: that's great uh, yeah. man. well it's great talking to you guys and some great stories and uh, I'm really glad that you decided to continue along I think Phil is the, the perfect guy for the gig oh, so. thank, thank you we'll thank you, guys, thank uh, you we'll see you guys on the road in All right. cheers, cool. Chris. Cheers, cheers Chris cheers,
1: guys. cheers
2: last in line or on the road the tour starts this Friday October 21st in Seattle Washington they do a handful of dates on the west coast then head to Europe you can get tickets and a copy of the album Heavy Crown at lastinlineofficial.com it's a great rock and roll record definitely has the uh, feel of Holy Diver of Last in Line of Sacred Heart and wait till you hear the rejuvenated Vivian Campbell play some of these amazing amazing solos it's awesome to hear him let loose like that completely different from what he does with Def Leppard so get a copy of Heavy Crown get your rock on support Talk Is Jericho in the process you know what I'm going to say you know where you can do it go get the album on Amazon and use the Talk Is Jericho links to use it all my Amazon links are at com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for the USA, the UK, the Canada A... Eh? Every time you use these links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs. You can buy just about anything you can think of on Amazon, and using the Amazon Talk is Jericho links won't cost you anything extra. No hidden fees, extra charges. Just go to podcastone.com, click the Killer Deals button on the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. All my great sponsors are there as well. Bet DSI Sign up at betdsi.com. Use the promo code JERICHO25 to get $25 for free just to try the service, win some money. DDP Yoga. Get 15% off the program, plus three months of full access to the DDP Yoga Now app. Just go to ddpyoga.com Jericho. Also, don't forget about DraftKings. Use my promo code Y2J to play for free with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. And don't forget, March 15th, 2017, it's, the, bigger, it's the Biggest, 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 biggest Podcast. Hello, when Mick Foley joins Talk is Jericho, the countdown clock is running 146 days until Mick makes his Talk is Jericho debut. You're not going to want to miss it, and you're not going to want to miss the new addition to the Jericho Network, the debut episode of Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus. Lance Storm and Cyrus, Don Callis, share some stories from their ECW days, a little thought-provoking analysis on Bill Goldberg's return to the WWE, plus the story of the Northern Death Tours. Listen, you want intelligent wrestling conversation, great analysis from two guys with no agenda, nothing to lose, and everything to gain, go check out Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus on Podcast One. Go to iTunes, hit subscribe on Killing the Town, and be entertained all week long. All week all week on the Jericho Network. Plus the Team Tiger Awesome show is on Sunday. Killing the Town on Tuesday. keep it at 100 with Conan on Thursday. The Runaway Hit. The flagship of the Jericho Network. And of course, Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday. The Jericho Network and Podcast One has you covered. Go to iTunes. Hit the subscribe button and all those podcasts. Be sure to leave everyone a five-star rating and review. Go do it for your mama. Thank you for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. And on Friday, before his big title defense, at hell in the cell I got WWE Cruiserweight Champ TJ Perkins is here you're going to find out all about TJ he's been wrestling for 18 years and he has wrestled everywhere New Japan TNA Mexico Ring of Honor and now here he is as the Cruiserweight Champion in the WWE he hasn't had a lot of promo time to explain himself on the show on Raw but he's got a lot of promo time coming up on Talk is Jericho. You're not going to want to miss his inspirational story. WWE Cruiserweight Champion TJ Perkins is here. We'll see you on Friday. Stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big, yeah
0: boy! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at PodcastOne.com. That's PodcastONE.com.